0: Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show Podcast, Hour 2.
1: Hello, America. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the Fruited Plain. The phone number is 877-973-7425, should you wish to be on the program. Uh, It's a free-for-all today, an open line Friday. You can call in uh, at your convenience on topics you want to talk about. I will go to your phone calls here shortly. Phone lines are open, 877-973. 973-7425. I want to talk about the border, but before I get there, there's some breaking news. Uh, there has been a dramatic shift in Kevin McCarthy's direction as the deal he's hammered out with Chip Roy has gotten close to finalizing. Uh, notable, Michael Cloud and Andrew Clyde have gone to vote for McCarthy Uh, Dan Bishop and Congressman Breachin have gone to vote for him. Byron Donalds is voting for him. Anna Paulina Luna is voting for him. Mary Miller is voting for him. Ralph Norman, one of the most important ones, is voting for him. And probably after Chip Roy, the most important one, Scott Perry, the leader of the House Freedom Caucus. So you've got Scott Perry, Ralph Norman, Mary Miller, Anna Paulina Luna, Byron Donalds, Michael Cloud, Andrew Clyde, Dan Bishop, and... What is Breachin's first name? Uh, Josh Breachin. Uh, They've all flipped their votes. Um, It's not enough for McCarthy, but it shows a massive movement in his direction. When the leader of the House Freedom Caucus suddenly flips to vote for McCarthy, you know the deal is almost done. And now there we have it. Chip Roy has flipped to vote for Kevin McCarthy. Uh applause has broken out in the chamber, bipartisan applause, no doubt. Uh this is the tenth of the 20 to flip for Chiproy. Um Chiproy now voting for McCarthy. Uh that is, given he was the leader of the negotiations and the ringleader of the opposition to McCarthy, that he has flipped, uh, and uh Matt Rosendale has now, uh, wow, nope, he's voted for Kevin Hearn. (laughs) Oh, wow. Uh, The House started to applaud, and then he said Hearn. Uh, But Roy has flipped. Uh, That's the biggest one on the 12th. Uh, Roy was leading the negotiations. So it looks like there has been some real progress made in this deal for McCarthy. He will probably now become Speaker. And in so doing, uh, conservatives will have gotten a ton. It's actually very good. Uh, now, well, there we go. Congressman self of Texas has also switched to McCarthy. So, uh, you've got 11 flips now for McCarthy. The vote is still going on and, um, we're going to see how this continues to play out. Okay. I want to talk about the border. The president of the United States, because Republicans have taken the house is finally taking the border seriously. Uh, Unfortunately, as a sign of just how things are going to go, he said this.
0: And the failure to pass and fund this comprehensive plan has increased the challenges that we're seeing at our southwest border. No one knows this better than the vice president.
1: Ah, the vice president. The vice president. The vice president suddenly knows everything about the southern border. At least that's the way that... Joe Biden claims, do we really want Kamala Harris to be the one in charge of the southern border? And now, Deep Thoughts by Kamala Harris. Deep Thoughts by Kamala Harris, and that's who Joe Biden says uh, knows the border better than anyone. He's also announcing a new plan to stop the surge
0: secretary of Homeland Security, Marcus will detail these actions very shortly after I finish at Homeland Security. But here's one significant step we're taking over the summer. We saw a huge spike in the number of Venezuelans traveling through uh, through Mexico and attempting to enter the United States without going through our legal processes. We respond by using uh, uh, and ensuring that there are two safe and lawful ways for someone leaving the country to come to America. And that was one of the reasons you uh, you were proposing. First, if they're seeking asylum, they can use an app on their cell phone called CBP1, O-N-E, C-B-P-1. One, O-N-E, that's to spell it out, not the number one, to schedule an appointment at a port of entry and make their asylum claim there without crossing the border unlawfully and have a decision determined by an asylum officer, do they qualify?
1: There you go, uh, he wants, he's got an app. That's right, there's an app for the poor migrants who are trying to cross the border so they can do their amnesty application and the like online. Uh, doesn't sound like a very serious plan. Meanwhile, you've got the House Republicans thinking they wanna impeach Mayorkas. The US Supreme Court has done Joe Biden a tremendous favor by keeping Title 42 in place. Title 42 is the executive order by Donald Trump saying there was a COVID crisis. And because of that crisis, uh, we had to keep all of the people seeking asylum south of the border. They couldn't cross the border. They had to hold in Mexico to be processed. Joe Biden's administration hasn't really enforced Title 42, uh, but it had kept it in place until recently, decided to get rid of it. And a conservative Trump-appointed judge said, no, it went to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said, well, let's hear arguments on it. I think the Supreme Court got this wrong. I got to make a nuanced argument, and I need you to actually listen to the argument. Some of you want to keep Title 42. I would like to keep Title 42. There we have a crisis at the southern border. And Joe Biden's administration getting rid of Title 42 makes the crisis worse. But I don't think it's the place of the Supreme Court to keep Title 42 in place because Title 42 came about as an executive order. In the same way the Trump administration tried to get rid of DACA. DACA was the uh, immigration executive order by Barack Obama that allowed the so-called dreamers to stay in this country even if they came here as children illegally. Donald Trump wanted to get rid of it and the Supreme Court says you can't get rid of it. Uh, I think this is wrong. And the reason I think this is wrong on both counts is because these are executive orders by presidents of the United States. And it is well settled constitutional jurisprudence until now that a president cannot bind a future president by executive order. By issuing executive regulations and orders, the presidents of the United States should not be allowed to bind the next president of the United States. One president, because of a change of election and policy, should be allowed to reverse and undo the prior president's policies. For the Supreme Court to say, no, you can't, I think oversteps the bounds of the United States Supreme Court in ways that we sh- none of us should like on a bipartisan basis. You may like the policy the Supreme Court is keeping in place, but that's separate from the issue of should the Supreme Court be able to keep it in place. Uh, the outcome should not be dependent on whether you like it or not. Uh, The outcome should be that the Supreme Court of the United States cannot force a president's hand to the hands of the former president who is no longer there and is no longer president. It's bad. Now, in this particular case with Title 42, they're not allowing it and saying it's got to stay enforced. They want to have hearings on it. And they recognize and say that if we undo this and Uh, It's going to be hard to put the genie back in the bottle, but they shouldn't put the genie back in the bottle to begin with. They shouldn't even hear this. It should just be de facto that a president can't bind a future president with an executive order. Every president should be able to chart their own path. Joe Biden wants to get rid of Title 42. I disagree with him, I think it's bad, but I think he's the president of the United States and he should not be bound by the prior president. Now that may be too much of a nuanced argument for some, but legally, I think that's where it should be and the Supreme Court got this wrong. We should be fighting over what to do about the border. But the border issue is more expansive than that now because in the border, We have this entire fight south of us. Mexico is a collapsing narco state. The cartels control portions of the country. They are violent and in many cases, they have better weaponry than the Mexican military. They have been fighting to take territory. The Mexican military in some parts of the country has collapsed. You have towns having to take it upon themselves to form their own militias to fight the drug cartels. That's not a good sign for what's south of us, and it becomes deeply destabilizing. At some point, this crisis continues to grow such that the American government itself is going to have to become involved. And I don't really think that's really a good thing for us. But we're going to have to. We're getting involved as much as we are in Ukraine. We're going to have to get involved with Mexico, which is actually our next-door neighbor. And the, uh, the narcos, the cartels, they're working with China now to produce the narcotics that flow into this country. It's a real war against the United States in some ways. It's deeply destabilizing. And I'm sorry, Mr. President, putting Kamala Harris in charge or developing an app for amnesty, uh, asylum seekers is not the process by which we need to move forward. We need to move forward by building a wall and securing our border, not undermining our territorial integrity to a bunch of uh, drug cartels and a failed narco state. On that, I want to take a phone call. Uh, Susan, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the show, Susan.
2: Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I have a suggestion as a way that we could at least extract some money from Mexico and, and Honduras and Guatemala and all the countries that are sending people or allowing people to come up here. Um, most of them are, are in an you know, a- economy that's, that's underground. They don't, they don't have Social Security numbers. They don't pay income taxes, all that kind of stuff, but they still get food stamps and things like that. And also they send money back to their families, back in their home countries. I mean, about 5% of Mexico's GDP is money that is sent usually by wire, like Western Union, things like that. They're not going to use Venmo. They're not Mm going to send a check. They're not going to do a credit card. But they wire it back and put a tax on every one of those wire transfers to those countries. So the money would come out of whatever amount the person here is sending
1: yeah look it's not a bad idea um it, international wire transfers a lot of the people come here from those countries they do send yeah. their money back home by wire and other means western union actually is a pretty um regular uh place for them to go to send money more so than over the internet. Um, I I have one hesitation on this one, Susan. I'll let you go there. Thank you for calling, 877-973-7425 if you want to call in. Here's my hesitation. In the 1800s, we went to war against Spain in the Caribbean, the Spanish-American War. Congress applied a tax at the time to a very newfangled technology. It was something only rich people had. It was called a telephone. And there was a surcharge tax placed on telephones that was designed to fund the Spanish-American War. And the war ended, and it was actually a victory for the United States. This is how we got Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. We got them from Spain at the end of the Spanish-American War. And the phone tax was one of the ways we funded the war. And Congress got rid of the phone tax after the Spanish-American War, but didn't do so for over 100 years. The Spanish-American War was from April 21st to August 13th, 1898, the Spanish-American War phone franchise tax went away in 1999. So you start taxing wire transfers to these countries to fund whatever we're doing at the border or possible defensive actions. It's not a bad idea. Just keep in mind that that tax is never going to go away. The weather outside might be frightful, but in your bed, you've got super soft bowl and branch sheets to sleep under. They'll keep you comfortable. They're just the perfect weight. Summer, winter, fall, spring, the perfect weight. And they get softer every wash. And right now, with the weather so cold outside, you want to just be snuggled up inside. They're the perfect sheets under which you and your loved one can snuggle. And right now, you can get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code ERIC at bowlandbranch.com. That's bowlandbranch, B-O-L-L. ANDBRANCH.com. The promo code is ERIC, E R I C K. bullet branch sheets are the perfect 100% organic cotton threads that gets softer every wash. Not only do they get softer every wash, but they the drape across your body is just perfect. I really enjoy mine. We've got them now on multiple beds in the house. We've just kept buying them because they're so soft. And every wash, they get softer. And right now, get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at BowlinBranch.com. That's BowlinBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com, the promo code ERIC. Paul Gosar voted for Kevin McCarthy. A uh, Major, major reversal there. looks like a deal is coming close to be done. All right, it's Eric Erickson here. The phone number, 877-973-7425. Kevin McCarthy is three votes away from being Speaker of the House of Representatives. Vladimir Putin has lost 110,000 soldiers in Ukraine. They've stopped fighting. So uh, Orthodox churches, Greek and Russian Orthodox churches, they celebrate Christmas today. Today is epiphany for the Western church. It's Christmas for the Eastern church. Uh, And Vladimir Putin had a unilateral 36-hour ceasefire. Uh, The Ukrainians don't actually believe it's true. Um, The Ukrainian forces are waiting uh, for some weather. There's been freezing rain, battlefields have turned into mud. It's the 317th day of the war. The Ukrainians continue to advance, but the Russians are dying in extraordinary numbers. Now, you've gotta take it with a grain of salt to a degree because it comes from the Ukraine uh, Ministry of Defense but they have tended to have more accurate data than the Russians. The Ukrainians say they have killed 110,205 Russian troops. They've destroyed 285 fighter, uh, attack bomber and transport jets, 272 attack and transport helicopters, 3,064 tanks, 2,059 artillery pieces, 6,124 armored personnel carriers and infantry fighting vehicles, 431 multi-launch rocket systems, 16 boats and gutters, 4,797 vehicles and fuel tanks, 215 anti-aircraft batteries, 1,844 tactical unmanned aerial systems, 182 special equipment platforms such as bridging vehicles, and four mobile Iskander ballistic missile systems, and 723 cruise missiles shot down. By Ukrainian air defenses, 723 defense missiles, that one, or, um cruise missiles is a, a definitely accurate number because the U.S. has been counting this as well. This is a massive loss for the Russians by a Ukrainian force they just thought would fold up, collapse, and run away. It has been good on us to sustain this effort against Russia, which is now dealing with China and Iran, This is destabilizing to Russia's global influence, which is a good thing for us because China's a little more skeptical of them now. This has been good and good on the Ukrainians and Merry Christmas to them. Happy epiphany to those of us in the West. My lights have come down officially today. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program, I'm happy to have your phone calls. Operators are standing by or whatever you want to say. (laughs) Uh, Layoffs are happening. Um, There is a surprising number of layoffs happening at Amazon, among others. It's not just the only one where it's happening. Yahoo Finance has this story. Recession fears have started a fresh round of layoffs for at least four corporate giants. Amazon uh, is cutting over 18,000 rolls. higher reduction than initially planned. Yesterday it said it was 15,000. It's going to be 18,000. Uh, Salesforce is cutting 10% of its workforce. Vimeo is cutting 11% in its second wave of reductions. Goldman Sachs is hashing out a plan to part ways with 4,000 bankers any day now, uh, according to a year-end message from uh, CEO David Solomon to staff last week right after Christmas. Merry Christmas. Layoffs are coming. This year's layoff announcements come as U.S. companies grapple with inflation, high interest rates, deteriorating economic environment. Now, that being said, there was some good economic news this morning on jobs. Payroll rose 223000 in December. Joblessness declined to 3.5%. However, Wage gains are easy now, which is possibly gonna to contribute to a decrease in inflation. So this is from the Wall Street Journal. The US labor market is losing momentum as hiring and wage growth cooled in December, showing the effects of slower economic growth and the interest rate increases after two straight years of record setting payroll growth following the pandemic related disruptions. The labor market is starting to show signs of stress. 2023 could bring slower hiring or outright job declines as the overall economy slows or tips into recession. Employers added 223,000 jobs in December, the smallest gain in two years. The Labor Department said average hourly earnings were up 4.6% in December from the previous year, the narrowest increase since mid-2021, and down from the marked peak of 5.6%. All told, employers added 4.5 million jobs in 2022, the second best year of job creation after 2021, when the labor market rebounded from COVID and added 6.7 million. Last year's gains were concentrated in the first seven months. More recent data and a wave of tech and finance industry layoffs suggest the labor market is starting to cool. Now, all of this, believe it or not, is actually a good thing in that it might slow inflation to where the Fed wanted the 2% rate. Alan Blinder in the Wall Street Journal has this piece. Maybe we should start the new year with some good news. Inflation has fallen dramatically. It's not a prediction, it's a fact. With one month left in 2022 in terms of available data, inflation in the second half of the year has run vastly lower than the first half. In fact, and this is astonishing, it's almost back to the Federal Reserve's 2% target, even more astonishing, hardly anyone seems to have noticed. There's a catch or two or three, which we'll get to, but the good news is that over the past five months, inflation has slowed to a crawl. The CPI inflation rate over the last 12 months has been an alarming 7.1%, but the U.S. economy got there by averaging an appalling 10.6% annualized inflation rate over the first seven months and only 2.5% over the last five months. So the true inflation rate appears to be 2.5%, but that doesn't mean the Federal Reserve can relax yet because it's only been a five-month period. Now... All of this breaks down into a couple of issues. One of which is the job market is starting to slow and layoffs are starting to come. Layoffs are coming not just in the tech sector but in the finance sector and in large part because interest rates are as high as they are right now and there is concern among the people I've talked to that if the Federal Reserve begins to cut rates again, which they're probably not going to do anytime soon, but if they did it could speed things up again and if it sped things up again that in and of itself could be fatal to a good economy there continue to be concerns that inflation is uh, still too high, that it is still affecting the poor the most because of food prices, and the Federal Reserve is probably gonna raise interest rates again. Now, here's a problem if they raise interest rates again. Believe it or not, it's actually the rich who are gonna be most impacted by the higher interest rates because of their purchases and their spending power is going to go down. They won't be able to buy the homes they wanted the furniture they wanted, the boats they wanted, the vacation homes they wanted. Uh, The credit card interest rates will continue to go up. Uh, This will impact the rich who over leveraged themselves when interest rates were almost at zero. A lot of poor and middle class people did not overwhelm themselves with a high debt load. Rich people did thinking the interest rates are so low, I can manage, I'm getting more from my investments so I can pay investments and pay off the debts. Well, now the stock market's not doing so well and interest rates are high and people are starting to be over leveraged and that's going to hurt them. Look, uh, if your interest rate is at one or 2% and you're making 5% of the stock market, you sell your stocks, you're able to pay off your debts pretty easy. But when you're making uh, 2 3% of the stock market and interest rates are at 5 or 6%, you're suddenly, you, you can't make it all work. And you're going to have to start divesting stuff. And rich people have been doing this in ways that are going to hurt them. I'm starting to see, you know, I I in fact, I'm, I'm having um my listener, Chris, who keeps his, his eye out on foreclosure properties and stuff. If one day I ever want my mountain house up in uh, the Lake Burton area, uh, he was just sending me one, um up in North Georgia. Uh, I'm not in the position yet, but hope to be. But it's notable to me. I keep my eye in Hilton Head and up in Northeast Georgia, Rabin County. Uh, So Rabin County, for those of you outside of Georgia, Rabin County is God's country. It is beautiful. Lake Burton is the highest. It's the first of the Georgia Power Dam Lakes. Uh, One day I would love to have a house on Lake Burton, but we're talking millions of dollars, millions. I don't have that kind of money. Uh, But I look at Hilton Head too. Hilton Head is my happy place. Uh, Every year, in fact, for spring break, we'll do it again this year. We'll go to the beach, get a house on the beach, uh, and we'll get the pool heated because normally in mid March, late March, it's still kind of cold, but you can get the pool heated. The kids can spend some time on the beach. I can play golf and just relax. Hilton Head and Las Vegas are like two of the three places, Lake Burton being the third, where I go and like my brain turns off. I didn't have a restful Christmas. And this is not a poor, poor, pitiful Eric story. No, it's not. It's actually good. But I take the last two weeks off of the year. A buddy of mine long ago convinced me I needed to take off those two weeks. In radio, you have something called the holiday book. And it starts right before Thanksgiving. And it runs through the beginning of January. And in the holiday book, no one cares about the ratings. It's an abridged season for ratings. Nobody really cares about it. And so if you're a radio show host whose performance is tied to ratings, you can pretty much take off those last two weeks of the year, and it's not going to impact your performance because nobody really cares about it all that much unless suddenly you go away and your guest hosts are so good it goes through the roof. They're like, ah, people like your guest hosts more than you. I try to bring you good guest hosts. I don't really like the the philosophy of some where they get bad guest hosts. You know, Rush Limbaugh actually insisted on having good guest hosts and they were vetted and studied and the metrics were studied. I know because I was involved and they directed me and how they liked me to do the show to boost my ratings. Uh, There are other radio show hosts who you all know who pride themselves in terrible guest hosts, so you really miss them uh, and wait for the host to come back. Uh, Rush was one of the anomalies there, and I would rather have a good guest host. But uh, normally I take off two weeks at Christmas, and I did take Philip to Las Vegas for his Christmas present to watch that hockey game. But then we're moving into an office. Uh, We were finishing up the contract negotiations uh, for a number of things in radio, trying to move into an office. And I've just been moving furniture for the last two weeks and showing up for cable guys, cable guy uh, to show up and install internet and all that sort of stuff. It has not been restful. So I'm already looking forward to spring break because when I go to Hilton Head, I completely unplug. And I try, one day I would love to have a house on the beach there and a house up in the mountains. If ever I get that successful in my career, maybe I won't. I may just have to rent that's fine. I'll rent for a week, go up there or go to the beach I want a place where I can go stand out like right on the river or in the water so I can go fishing. That'd be fantastic. And I like fly fishing more than just sitting on a dock, casting a line. I like to be in the water. It's good for my joints. Nonetheless, I digress. Um, But I've noticed all of a sudden there's been this uptick in houses for sale. I just saw a house come up for sale in Lakeport. it's like $7.9 million, there's no freaking way unless I were to win the mega millions and I didn't buy a ticket for it that I could ever afford something like that. Uh, But I'm noticing now houses are starting to come up for sale in ways during the pandemic they didn't. In fact, what happened is a lot of wealthy people, when you could work from home, they bought houses in the places they wanted to vacation. So a lot of houses in Hilton Head uh, got sold and, and there was little inventory for sale. A lot of houses in um, Lake Oconee, Lake Burton, places like that in Georgia, all the houses, they, they just disappear. They, they went up for sale. Colorado's having the same problem. A lot of people wanted to move to Colorado, live in the mountains, smoke weed, work from home, and they bought a bunch of houses in Colorado. And now suddenly with interest rates up as high as they are and people are having to go back to the office, you're starting to see these uh, things come for sale. They're starting to see houses that had uh, been purchased two years ago come back up for sale, starting to see foreclosures come up as interest rates go up. And that kind of is a red flag that something's going on with the economy, particularly with rich people who overleverage themselves on low interest rates. But for the rest of us who aren't there, and I'm certainly not there, more Americans are using credit cards to pay for everyday expenses. This is uh, troubling data from Census Household Survey. 35% of households use credit cards or loans in December to cover spending needs in the past week. That's up from 32% in November and just 21% in April. Certainly the holidays have an impact with that. I know I got to pay off my credit cards this month. I put a lot on in December with presents and getting points on the, the credit card. But people are over-leveraging themselves. The rich are doing it more than most. And as interest rates continue to go up, up, it has a cascading effect. We are really headed towards disturbingly unstable financial times. And the sooner all of us work on putting money aside and saving and not putting stuff on credit cards, the better off we're going to be before that time comes. This is Christine Romans on CNN.
0: Overnight, uh, we've heard from Alan Greenspan, uh, who who says that he's worried about a recession this year. I mean, he's not, not everyone's in that camp, right? And by the way, you look at some of the positive numbers, which you've highlighted on a broadcast here. How are things at least starting out this year?
3: Well, you know, Alan Greenspan, like all economists, doesn't have a perfect record either, but he mm-hmm. looks at all those numbers and he happened to steer this economy to a soft landing in 1999 when we had to raise interest rates, the Fed had to raise interest rates to try to get a hold of the situation. So he's been in this seat before and he says, I don't think we can really avoid a recession, but no one knows for sure. In the last year, as we know, economists really got it wrong. You know, remember transitory inflation? That was really a mm-hmm. bad call. And, uh, and and that was really wrong. Um maybe we heard from moody's they're calling it a slow session maybe you don't have a recession you just kind of grind to a halt here no one knows for sure the job market still remains strong tomorrow we're gonna get that jobs report, jim um i think maybe it'll be less strong than recently and that's what you want to see after six months of the fed raising interest rates but i would just caution after the last year no one really knows for sure what 2023 holds
1: nobody does know that's part of the problem uh, these things in the past, uh, people have, in in some cases, been able to predict them, and there's really no predicting uh, the the stable path forward here. There's just no way to do it. We don't really know, and that's going to cause a problem, uh, particularly for people who are planning out retirement. What's going to happen to the markets? What's going to happen to the bond markets? What's going to happen with inflation? It's becoming a real concern for stability in this year, something we're all going to have to deal with. You also have to deal with stinky air. Uh, certainly, Kevin McCarthy needs to fire up an Eden Pure and start over with the air after people been coming in and out of his office. You can, too. The Eden Pure thunderstorm eliminates bad odors from pet odors, litter box odors, smoke odors, musty odors, uh, the odors from mildew and the like. You can eliminate those odors. What you do is you go to EdenPureDeals.com. Don't go to EdenPure.com. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. On the front page of that website, you will see an, an Ask for a Discount code box, and you put in ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K-3. You will get three Eden Pure Thunderstorms for less than $200, one for upstairs, one for downstairs, one for your basement or your attic, your RV, or like me, I keep one in my travel bag. I keep it in my travel bag because it's not that big. It's not that heavy, I can hold it in my hand. I can plug it into the wall or in a car, I can plug it with a USB cable into a USB outlet. Either way it gets power, fire that sucker up and it wipes out odors. If you get a rental car where someone's been smoking in it and it stinks, you fire up the Eden Pure walk away for a little while, let it run its course, it works. You get three of them, less than $200, EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K-3. No space, don't write out three, just the number after my name. Go to EdenPureDeals.com today. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425 if you want to be on the program. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. Now, this is actually really important, and... This is like a 15 second plug, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna stretch this out for a moment because uh, one, the, the Frost family, they're good people, known them for a very long time. And this is their wheelhouse. We're headed into recessionary times with high interest rates. And if you're a small business, and I don't care where you are, as long as you're in the United States, anywhere in the United States, if you're listening to me in Hawaii, Alaska, Oregon, California, Florida, Maine, Virginia, doesn't matter. The Frost family, they're in Noonan, Georgia. They're not far from you, but they can help you nationwide. If you're buying a building, you're building a building, you want to buy out a competitor, you want to uh, grow your infrastructure, you want to buy a franchise, expand a franchise or something. A lot of big banks right now are telling small businesses, no, no, closing their door in the face. First Liberty can help you. They make their own decisions. It's not a good fit for everybody. But if you're a small business and you're interested, reach out to them. They're good people. Tell them I sent you. Spend 10 minutes with them. They can, they've can. they got a process they've refined since the early 90s to see if you're a good fit for their program. They want to help you if they can. It's firstlibertyga.com. You can get all their contact info there, firstlibertyga.com. Yes, they are in Georgia, but if you're in Portland, Oregon, don't let that deter you. They can help you, firstlibertyga.com. I actually do feel bad for small businesses right now because so much of... The focus in Washington is on big businesses. And in being on big businesses, uh, big businesses are uh, the banks cater to them. And that's why so many smaller businesses are using regional banks now and small banks and credit unions. And it's just, it's economically right now, it becomes harder for small businesses to compete. I, being a small business owner myself, I know. So, for example, uh, I wanted to get some life insurance on myself um, for my business because Philip and Charlie, they, they, I mean, they've kind of given up their careers to e- ensure my career takes off. And they've been working with me now for, Charlie, 10 years, Philip, seven or so years. And I, I want to make sure they're taken care of if something happened to me. And I had to go through the trouble of, of setting up a trust to get insurance because uh, trying to go through an insurance company as a small business owner, which is two, three employees, and get insurance, they're like, this looks like money laundering to us. And I had to get a lawyer and set up a trust, and it was all convoluted. And was finally able to get it done today, as a matter of fact, um, and then was able to go to my small bank where they have a notary and get stuff notarized because the big banks, they don't even have branches anymore. Where do you go to get a notary when you need stuff like this? It really becomes convoluted, um, really does. It's just hard to be a small business owner in this country right now when everybody is so focused on the big, but it's where most people work are small businesses, not big businesses. You'd think we'd realize that.